Our scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so if you're joining us, if you're, if you're newer to First City, uh, we are in a, currently in a series on the habits of grace. These are biblical habits, these are practices that God has given to us to strengthen us in the grace that he's given us, as well as conform us to the image of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at a habit that is probably the most difficult, one that we don't engage very often, and one that we would probably even say, I don't really know what that means, fasting. And I was just thinking this morning, wow, what a Sunday to, to talk about fasting, Super Bowl Sunday. And I had this great vision of getting up here and go, I dare you to go to your Super Bowl party and not have buffalo dip and wings. Just fast tonight. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. <laughs> but if you think about this practice, I mean, if we talk about the spiritual disciplines, and for those of us that are believers in Jesus, and this is an opportunity to really be strengthened in them, and we think about, hey, let's pray more. I think most of us would be like, yeah, let's do that more. Or if we're saying, hey, let's get in our Bibles more. Yes, let's do that. We'd be excited. Hey, let's celebrate more. We get excited about that. If I stand up here and go, hey, let's fast. Okay, sure, maybe. Or how about, think of it this way. How many of you, those of you that, that are Christians, professing Christians, how many of you have read your Bible at least once over the past year, I hope you have read it at least once. I hope you have prayed at least once. If we were to run down the spiritual disciplines, I bet most of us have done at least once in a year. But how many of you have actually fasted for spiritual reasons in the past year? I know I haven't. I'll admit that. How many of you have ever fasted for spiritual reasons? So this is one of those practices that we don't engage very often, and for, for different reasons, but we need to come to grips with that. But here's what's interesting about fasting. There's no direct command given in Scripture to do it, yet we see many, many people in Scripture. We see Moses and David and Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, the people in the early church, and many, many others fasted, and some of them fasted regularly. We also see fasting associated with incredible moves of God, both in Scripture and in history. Substantial growth in individuals when they engage in fasting. So fasting isn't commanded, but it is held out as spiritually significant. So we have to ask the question, if fasting is held out as spiritually significant and God's power moves in some particular and unique ways when people fast, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it more often? This is a question I've been wrestling with this week as I've been reflecting on this habit. And I've just become more and more convinced that if we see the purpose and the necessity and power of fasting, that we'll become more inclined to develop this habit in our walk with Christ. And so that's what my hope and prayer is this morning. 
that God by his word and by his spirit would nudge us, whether gently or maybe even forcefully, more into this habit of fasting. So I want to look at three points from our text this morning. The what of fasting, the why of fasting, and then how to fast. So let's answer a simple question. What is fasting? What is fasting in general? On the most basic level, fasting is the temporary giving up of, or, of, 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 excuse me, or abstaining from an otherwise good thing. And it's usually food, but it can be other things. It's giving up a good thing in order to achieve some outcome or benefit. And fasting isn't unique to the Christian faith. Pretty much every single religion incorporates fasting in some way in its practices. And fasting isn't even necessarily spiritual. People fast for physical and mental and emotional reasons all the time. One of the newest diet trends is um, intermittent fasting, and maybe some of you have done that. Uh, Maybe you sometimes will fast social media or other forms of media to help your concentration and level of distraction. And so we can do this for physical and mental reasons as well. So it's important to understand something this morning. The fasting that we're talking about this morning is not just general fasting. It's very specific. It's Christian fasting. Christian fasting is different. There's a a different focus and a different purpose than other types of fasting. And that's what we're going to see here in Matthew 9. Jesus is going to tell us about the purpose and the role of Christian fasting. So in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we see that Jesus entertains a question about fasting. So what we see is a number of folks come to him and ask him. Here it's the, the disciples of John. They come to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So here, the reason they're asking this question is because at the time of Jesus, it was normal for spiritual leaders and teachers to fast, and those who followed them, their disciples, would fast as well. And so for Jesus' disciples not to fast was actually pretty distinct and unique. So the question, hey, Jesus, Fasting is an important spiritual practice. How come your disciples aren't doing it? And in his answer, he's going to flip the whole motivation for fasting on its head. He's going to give them a new understanding of fasting. First, he answers this way. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Why does Jesus make this comment about mourning? Because we see in the Old Testament, so the Jewish framework for fasting was connected to mourning. It was connected to brokenheartedness. And so if there was a reason to mourn, there was a reason to fast. So people would mourn over their sin, and so they would fast as a way to express that mourning over sin. If you had a family member die and you were mourning over their life, you would often fast. If there was the threat of danger or calamity, you would often mourn over that threat and danger, and so you would fast. Or if that uh, terrible thing happened, you would mourn and you would fast. Mourning and fasting was also connected with this expression for the longing for the Messiah to come and the kingdom of God to come. So Jesus makes this connection to mourning. And really, this was an important aspect of fasting because fasting was a way to connect with that sense of, I need you, God. It was an act of faith and humility. It was saying, God, I need you to move. God, God, I need you to provide. God, I need you to come and comfort and rescue. I need to, God, I need you to give me something that I do not have. So this act of faith and humility. Jesus' point then 
is his disciples don't fast because it's not a time for mourning. When, when you go to a wedding, you don't mourn, right? You don't fast, right? Uh, earlier in January, when, when Mindy and I were still taking Whole30 seriously, we, we attended a wedding, so Joel and Lauren's wedding, and, and I remember before we went there, I asked Mindy, hey, are we going to cheat at all? And she's like, of course we're going to cheat. You don't go to a wedding and not eat wedding cake. We are going to cheat. So you go to a wedding, you celebrate. You don't fast at a wedding. Why? Because you're celebrating with the bride and the groom. And so in Scripture, in the Old Testament, God is often referred to as a bridegroom who is going to one day come for his bride, his people. The Messiah is talked about as a bridegroom who would come for his bride, his people. And so Jesus is making a profound statement. He's saying, hey, look, you mourn and you fast because you're waiting for the Messiah and the kingdom of God to come. I'm telling you, it's here. It's no longer a time for mourning. It's a time for celebration. Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm the bridegroom. God in the flesh, I have come and I have brought a kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and forgiveness and flourishing. It is a time to celebrate. My disciples don't fast because they're celebrating. At the same time, Jesus said there is going to be a time where they will mourn. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So what Jesus is saying is, look, there's going to be a day where I bodily leave them. And so he's referring to after his resurrection, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to leave. And when I leave, then my disciples will mourn. Then they're going to mourn over the sin and brokenness still present in the world. Then they're going to mourn because they want the kingdom to come and to be fully established. So a time is coming when they're going to mourn. At the same time, the way that they fast, there's going to be a time when they fast, but the way that they fast and why they fast is going to be different. Their fasting is going to be spiritual in nature, yes, but there will be something new about it. And this is Jesus' point when he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Here's what Jesus' point is. When you try to put new and old together, something goes wrong. Damage is done. So if you take a piece of new cloth that hasn't shrunk and you try to patch your jeans or a shirt, as that piece of cloth begins to shrink, what happens? It pulls away and it tears and makes the tear worse. So wineskins in first century Jerusalem were made out of animal hides. And when those hides were uh, flexible and malleable, when they were fresh, then you could put new wine in it. And when new wine would continue to ferment, so it would put off gas, and those animal skins would stretch but if you put new wine into old wineskins where that hide had dried out and was no longer flexible, when that wine would give off gas, they would break. So it was dumb to put new wine into old wineskins. So Jesus is saying, look, my disciples are going to fast, but it's for an entirely new reason. If you ask them to fast, if you fast for old reasons, you're actually going to do damage to the practice. So Jesus is pointing out something very important for you and I to understand why you fast matters. How you understand what fasting is, is important. Look, we don't fast like those in the Old Testament. Our fasting is different. 
We don't fast like those of different religions. Our fasting is different. We don't even fast for physical reasons, as good as, and as beneficial as that can be. Our fasting is different. So what is new? What is different about our fasting? Well, John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, gives us a really helpful explanation. The yearning and longing and ache of the old fasting was not based on the glorious truth that the Messiah had come. The mourning over sin and the yearning for deliverance from danger and the longing for God that inspired the old fasting were not based on the great finished work of the Redeemer and the great revelation of his truth and grace in history. What's new about Christian fasting is that it rests on all the, this finished work of the bridegroom. The aching and yearning and longing for Christ and his power that drive us to fasting are not the expressions of emptiness, need, yes, pain, yes, hunger for God, yes, but not emptiness. The first fruits of what we long for have already come. The down payment of what we yearn for is already paid. The fullness that we are longing for and fasting for has appeared in history and we have beheld his glory. The newness of our fasting is this. Its intensity comes not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by his spirit and we cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of joy arrives. Here's the contrast. In the Old Testament, they longed for the Messiah to come. They longed for a kingdom that had not come. What they were mourning for, what they were fasting for, wasn't theirs yet. Our fasting, our mourning, is not for something that hasn't come, but for something that has come. So our fasting is fasting for more. And this is important for us to recognize. This is why fasting is a habit of grace. We don't fast to earn something. We don't fast to gain something that isn't ours. No, we fast. Fasting is to experience more and more of the grace of God and the love of God and the peace of God and the hope of God that he has lavished on us in Christ. Look, if you are in Jesus, here's the truth. You have Christ. You have been united to him through faith by the Spirit. And so your fasting is to get more of Jesus. We fast to experience more of his kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. We fast in hope because we know what we experience now, what we taste now, is ours to come in fullness when Jesus returns. So our fasting is new because we are fasting to experience what we do have, not to try to achieve something we don't have. Fasting, look, look you, you may fast gluten and sugar and dairy or red meat for dietary purposes, and look, that is good. You may fast social media to help you become less distracted. You may fast Netflix so you read more books. Look, that's all good. But if Christ is not the center of your fasting, if your goal in fasting is not to experience more of Jesus, then it's not Christian fasting. It's important that we understand our end, our gain, our benefit that we're after is Christ. So what is Christian fasting? It's giving up, it's abstaining from otherwise good things in order to experience more of Jesus. And so if you think about it this way, fasting is not about depriving yourself, it's about feasting on Christ. Fasting is not deprivation, it's actually feasting. That's what fasting is. That's what Jesus holds out for us here in Matthew 9. So that's the what 
why should we fast? Why do we fast? Why did God give us the specific practice of fasting as a means to experience more of his grace? Well, let me answer that question by highlighting something about our culture that I think everybody is going to say obvious is obvious. We are a culture of consumerism and consumption. We all recognize the United States is awash in consumption. But let's look at a few stats just to just sort of highlight the culture we live in. So the average American consumes nearly 2,000 pounds of food a year. So you know when you eat a lot and you say, man, I ate a ton? You literally did eat a ton last year. The average American spends 11 hours watching, reading, listening, or simply interacting with media. The average American spends $18,000 on non-essential things each year, things you don't actually need. And here's the result. It means that 38% of people can't afford to fund a retirement plan, 35% can't afford life insurance, 28% can't afford to pay off credit card debt, and 26 can't afford car repairs. The average American household is well over $16,000 in credit card debt. And then collectively, look at us collectively. Collectively, we spend $4.8 billion eating Cheetos, Doritos, and Funyuns. $800 million on fireworks. $32 billion eating pizza. $4.6 billion on fantasy football. $31.3 billion buying flowers for each other. $41.8 billion on fishing trips. $62 billion buying makeup and cosmetics, and $11 billion going to the movies. That doesn't include popcorn, so it's probably actually more like $25 billion. <laughs> Look, I know numbers like this don't tell the entire story of our lives, but what they represent is that we are clearly a con- culture of consumers. Comforts and pleasures readily available right at the tip of our fingers. And look, not all these things are bad. A lot of these things are gifts from God that we should receive with thankfulness. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, then these gifts, these pleasures will become ends in of themselves. And so often they become ends of themselves. And what they do is they choke out our spiritual hunger. Jesus says in Mark 4, 19, that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the comforts in life, these are what choke out the word. These are what begin to pull us away from faith in Christ. These are what begin to dull our joy in Jesus and our hunger for the Lord. They diminish and they numb our sense that we need a savior. We need rescue. We need to be redeemed. Oh, they become the sweetest tasting wine to us instead of Jesus. And all that consuming, what does it do to us? It forms us into people that look to comfort and pleasure to bring joy and to bring peace and to bring rest and to bring identity. We look to comfort and pleasure and consuming and that becomes our meaning and our purpose. These things become our hope. These are the things we begin to look to to fix what hurts and what is broken inside us. Comfort and pleasure and security in our stuff, they become our dependence. They become our God and we will serve them with the utmost devotion. And look, this consumerism, this darkness lives in all of our hearts. And the message that we're constantly bombarded with, we're affected by. And so we need to be honest, brutally honest, 
about the ways that we go to food or, or we go to Netflix or we go to movies or we go to Facebook and Twitter or we go to TV or we go to video games in order to deal with stress, in order to experience comfort, to, to deal with the angst and the pain and the hurt and the loneliness and the sadness that we feel. But we need to recognize that so often we go to the new iPhone or the new gadget or the new house or the new car or new clothes to make us feel joyful and to give us an identity. Oh, we need to be brutally honest about the ways, large and small, we've been shaped to be self-focused consumers. And look, I'm right in that camp. Like, how many days I could tell you that I just look forward to lunchtime because I'm so stressed and I just want to eat a burger because that's my comfort. I, I will get home sometimes from work and I will just start ravaging the cupboards for sugar because I need sugar to soothe whatever pain I'm feeling. Or, or Thursday nights, which is kind of like my Friday night, you better believe I'm popping on Netflix because I just want to decompress. Like, look, it's okay. Netflix can be okay. But when I run to that to, to, to find comfort and to deal with the stress rather than running to Jesus, that's a problem. We all need to be honest because I bet most of us aren't even aware of the ways we're doing it. And then we have to ask this question, what kind of person is that making us? Uh, we've been asking this question over and over during this series because we need to be aware of how the habits that we engage in, how it's forming us and the kind of people we're becoming. Are we becoming more hope-filled and joy-filled? Are we becoming more peace-filled? Do, do, do we long for and hunger for Jesus more and more? Are we being strengthened in our identity in Christ? Are we becoming more and more free from sin and performance mentality? No way. There's no way your consumption and your consumerism is doing that for you. And again, let's be honest. Is it no wonder that sometimes we struggle in our faith and we settle for little joy and little peace and little hope and little power and little freedom and little Jesus because we're so given over to consuming so given over to running to those things instead of going to the Lord. Friends, you understand God offers us something so much better, so much bigger. Through Christ, God offers us the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace and the fullness of hope, the fullness of love. God offers us forgiveness and freedom from sin and freedom from a performance mentality that makes you have to work and work and work and work and work. God offers you a lasting identity, son and daughter of God, an identity that you can rest in. Oh, through Christ, you have a faithful friend and a savior who is powerful to redeem and restore. Through Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit alive inside of you to give you power to walk in righteousness and to serve. All of these things are ours in Christ. The riches of his grace are ours in Christ. This being true, this is why we fast. We fast because we want to push back against the false hopes and false saviors of consumerism. We fast because we want to say with the psalmist, my soul longs for you alone, God. My soul desires nothing but you. We fast so that we can say, I'm tired of these lesser pleasures and the effect that they have on me. We fast to say Jesus is far greater. Just as we sung about this morning, he's far greater than any pleasure that this world can offer. 
Oh, we fast so that we long for the giver more than the gift. We fast so that the new wine of Christ is the sweetest taste on our lips. And look, we also fast to fight the good fight of faith. Walking as a Christian is hard. The sin in your own heart that you wrestle with and all the factors around you trying to conform you into everything but Jesus, hey, we fast to push back against those other voices and those other influence. We say, I'm not gonna let sin grab hold of my heart. I'm not gonna let sin rob God of his glory. So we fast to push back against those things and we fast to know the sweet experience of dependence, to to come to the Lord and experience the joy of saying, God, I need you. God, I need you to move I need you to provide, I need you to rescue, I need you to redeem, I need you to comfort me. Oh, in all of that, God is near to us, we are strengthened, and there is joy and there is pleasure that nothing in this world can offer. This is why we fast. Why? To get more, more faith, more love, more joy, more hope, more peace, more Christ. This is why we fast, church. The what, the why, And now the how. How do we begin to cultivate this? How do we fast? What does it look like to cultivate this habit in our lives? Well, let me give you some initial direction. First, keep Christ the aim and the gospel in mind. As you fast, keep the purpose in front of you. You're after the Lord, more God, more Christ. Seek him, pursue him, long for him, Look, even if you're asking God for something, there's joy in that experience because you're drawing near to him. You're experiencing more of him. So let him be the goal. Keep Christ the aim. But keep the gospel in mind because because of Jesus, fasting is never about performance. This is never about performance. This is never about trying to earn something. This is never about trying to manipulate God to give us something. This is never, fasting is never your righteousness. So don't burden yourself with performance. Rejoice in the blessings and grace that are yours and run after those things that are yours in fasting. So look, if you struggle with performance mentality and if you fear that, hey, if I start fasting, it's gonna be a performance thing for me, I wanna encourage you to start every day that you fast by reading Ephesians 1, 3 through 9, and 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. So really easy to remember, 1, 3 through 9, Ephesians and 1 Peter, and just meditate on all the things that are yours in Christ and say, this is what I am going after, not because I don't have it, because it's already mine, and I want to experience it more. So keep Christ the aim and remember the gospel. Second, consider your consumption. Give thought to the things you consume that have the strongest hold on you. And then when you think about areas that you could potentially fast, whether it's food or media or video games or spending money, where is the biggest hesitation for you? What seems to be the thing that is most difficult, you're the most reluctant to give up? Because here's what that is. That's an invitation by the Holy Spirit to actually walk in the fullness of joy in the fullness of freedom. Where you're most reluctant is where the spirit wants to do his deepest work. So consider your consumption. But let me say this. 
while there are many different things you could fast for spiritual benefit, let me strongly encourage you to consider at some point fasting food, if you are able. Because there's a reason food is the primary source of fasting in Scripture, because food is somewhat of a unique situation. Because look, most of the things that you could fast, you could actually live without. Like, you don't need Netflix to survive. You don't need social media. You don't need new clothes or new car or whatever it may be. But you do need food. We need food to survive. And so there's this interesting interaction between dependence and comfort and joy found uniquely in food. We need food to survive, and a lack of food security can pretty easily provoke fear and anxiety. Look, even those of us that have food in our cupboards and and ready access to it, what happens when we're not sure when we're going to eat or what we're going to eat? Oh, we start getting worried. Oh, we start getting flustered. We start asking questions. We start getting angry. Food anxiety provokes something in us. So if I purposefully withhold food by fasting, you start to begin to peel back what you ultimately depend upon. And then food is also this powerful source of pleasure and comfort Food significantly impacts our mood, and we're becoming more and more aware of this, how diet affects emotions. We comfort eat far more than we realize. We we run to food to escape and to deal with stress and to feel good far more than we realize. And so if we withhold food in a fast, we'll begin to see where we really find joy and pleasure. So let me encourage you, if you are able to fast food at some point, Let this be the thing that you fast. Richard Foster, in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, highlights the particular power of fasting food. He says this, if pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David said, I have humbled my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. And then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. Fast from food and see what happens in your soul and allow God to do some work. So consider your consumption. Third, start simple and then build. Like fasting is, the physically, is physically the most difficult habit of grace, especially if you're fasting food. And so if you try to go and run a marathon without having trained for it, that's a recipe for pain and failure. So don't try to do high-level fasting right out of the gate. Start simple. Here's a basic way to start, a 24-hour period. So eat your dinner one night and don't eat again until dinner the next night. So you're basically fasting two meals. Start there. And then as you grow in this habit, you can extend out your time, 36 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. If you're fasting media, look, in some ways that, you can go longer for that because that isn't as physically taxing. But, but start small and begin to build out. It, it, this is not something you're always doing. Like maybe just start, hey, once a year, I'm gonna do a period of fasting. And then if you grow in that, you can do it multiple times a year. But recognize you need to start small and then grow out. And Again, while there are certainly benefits to longer fasts or doing it more often, remember you aren't performing. 
Your righteousness is not based on how long or how often you can fast. There's freedom here. Remember that freedom. Start simple and build. And then finally, don't just fast. Feast. Don't just give up food or social media or Netflix. You need to be feasting on Jesus. This isn't just depriving yourself of something. You're actually running to the Lord in these times. You're spending time in the word and time in prayer. Run to Jesus that you might experience his grace and his comfort and his presence in, in your need and in your hunger and in your pain and in your loneliness. Experience dependence upon him. Feed your soul on Jesus. So those are four directions that I want to give you as you consider implementing fasting into your life. But I also want to conclude this sermon by actually calling First City Church to fasting. Do we want more of Jesus? Do we want to experience more of his grace and his love and the hope that is in him? Do we want to have more joy in him? Then I would say let us be a church that starts to cultivate this habit of fasting. As the Lord has been rocking my world this week with this, I've been burdened that this is not just something we talk about on a Sunday and then go, oh, that was cool. Yeah, okay, I'll consider that and then never do anything with it. I want us to be a church that actually takes this habit seriously. Not so we can feel cool about ourselves or go, hey, look how spiritual we are. We fast. No, so we can be a church that is defined by our intimacy and our hunger for the Lord. So here's how I'm gonna call us to do this, church. Here's how Pastor Paul and I wanna call First City Church into actually starting this habit of fasting. We're going to start making February a month of fasting. So you thought, fasting February. It's kind of catchy name, easy to remember. So fasting February. And what we want to invite you to do is to take one 24-hour period per week and fast food specifically. And so again, this is, we're starting simple here. And we're not going to do this this coming week. We're actually going to wait a week. And so it'll be the last three weeks of February, one 24-hour period. So again, eat at dinner and not eat again until dinner the next day. So fasting breakfast and lunch. There's freedom here. You don't have to do this. We're not going to look down on you if you don't do this. We're not going to say, oh, look at the spiritual people fasting and the unspiritual people not fasting. No, complete freedom. And if you can't fast food right now because that feels a little bit too much or for health reasons, consider fasting something else. We want to invite you into this and we want to do this together. So something else we're going to do is we're actually going to create space to pray and fast together. So when we launch this and start doing this in a week from now, we're going to open up the church office on Tuesdays over the lunch hour for people who just want to come and pray together during the fasting. For those of you that work on base, I'd love for, if someone wants to organize a group to get together and pray, come talk to me and let's organize that. Or or stay-at-home moms, if one of you wants to organize moms to get together and spend some time praying and fasting on Tuesdays, please let me know. If Tuesday doesn't work for you, feel free to pick another day and you can for sure gather on other days as well. But we want to lean in and do this together. And here's what we want to be praying into. We want to ask the Lord to do something in us, through us, for us. We want the Lord to do something in us, meaning we want to pray that the Lord give us greater hunger for him, longing for him, desire for him. 
And then the Lord would do something through us, that he would give us greater missional fruitfulness, that in our desire to share the gospel with other people, that there would be fruitfulness in that. As we disciple one another, there would be fruitfulness in that. And then finally, the Lord would do something for us. We've determined in 2020, we want to be praying regularly that the Lord would provide a building for First City Church. And so we want to be crying out and asking the Lord to provide. So that'll be what we'll be praying for in the month of February during this time of fasting. This is a way for us to take one step to cultivate this habit as a church and make it a regular part. But whether we do this in the month of February or in the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come, the goal here is Jesus. The goal here is greater hunger and greater desire, greater intimacy with him. So church, let's commit to that. Amen?